So open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 18. Uh, We're going to work our way through this text beginning in verse 1. Genesis 18 verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham, he's hanging out at the oaks by his house. It's a hot day. uh, And we need to situate ourselves uh, since Genesis 12, since Creation has fallen apart and been broken and scattered throughout the earth. Uh, Genesis 1 through 11, we're seeing this, and then all of a sudden, Genesis 12, God taps Abraham on the shoulder and says, you, you're going to be a part of my plan to bring redemption and reconciliation within to this broken and fractured creation. And, 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 and I'm going to give you a child. Now, this was odd because Abraham and Sarah were both very old, and Sarah was barren, and, and shockingly, God says, you're Age and your barrenness, they will not be a hindrance in me bringing redemption into the world. Now, you got to think. Abraham and Sarah, they've been accustomed to their barrenness. They've lived their lives with a closed future. Uh, They've accepted that this reality is their normal, and yet God enters into their lives with a staggering promise. They're invited to believe and hope against hope. And it may seem impossible, but all things are possible with God. Yet, since this promise was given to them, more time has elapsed. They're not getting any younger. Questions surely start to arise. Will God follow through? When will the child come? Can God be trusted? And suddenly, at the Oaks of Mamre, at the door of his tent, in the heat of the day, God appears to Abraham. And take note that he appears in the ordinary, day-to-day place. And God's appearance, it's not majestic in this instance. It's not a one-on-one. It's not the sky being peeled back and God peeking in and saying, hello. Uh, Look at verse 2. Abraham, he lifted up his eyes and said, and, and, and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from his tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Abraham lifts his eyes. And suddenly he sees three men standing Uh, in front of him. And the text doesn't say, you know, that they teleported down or anything. There was no trumpet blown. There wasn't like a spectacular entry, like how I walk into any room. Uh, Abraham uh, was simply looking away, lifted up his eyes, and behold, there was three men. Now, he he could have just let them pass by. And frankly, that's what many of us would do in this city. Uh, The other day, I was out on my morning walk with Ansley, and I love this time with her, but this particular morning uh, wasn't so much a morning walk as it was a morning carry. You know, she just wanted to be carried. And so we went to our or my favorite coffee shop, uh, Small Victory, and I got a cold brew because that's what a yuppie, hipster, barely millennial dad does. And uh, and then we ran some errands. Auntie Alita and Auntie Marie are too young to rent a car, so I had to help them out there. And and, uh, Ansley was particularly chipper this morning. Uh, you know, her, her, her big blue eyes were lit up. Her smile was big and wide. And she was pointing out the colors of everything around us. I just loved it. And every person that would pass us by, Ansley would look at them and she would just be like, hi! <laughs> you know, and, and, and it was very interesting. Um, you know what? I kept count of people who responded to her, either with a smile or with a hello or a hi. One in ten. One in ten. I'm not even kidding. People were either too busy, they were in a rush, or they were looking down at their phone, texting or emailing, uh, and they, they missed noticing the most adorable little girl wanting to just greet them because they're human and there. And, uh, you know, I just say, you'll get the next one. 
And then the next one will go by, like, well, that person's just having a bad day. You know, I don't, I, we don't want anyone to really become that aloof, right? But if we're honest, this is how a lot of us go through our day-to-day lives. In our city, we don't have time to give out smiles. Uh, part of the problem is a lack of presence. Uh, we're distracted, but the, the root issue, I think, is that we see our time as precious. It's our most valuable asset. It's even more valuable to us than money. Uh, so we protect it, and we use it carefully, and we make the most of it. We maximize it, which is why we respond to emails and text messages while walking in the most beautiful city in the world. We're looking at our phones because we don't have much time. All of us understand, generally, we don't have a lot of time to give, let alone time to give out to strangers. Uh, but when we begin hoarding our time, uh, when we keep it for ourselves or our own ambitions alone or solely for the people we want to spend it with, we miss out. When we hold on too tightly to maximizing our time, we begin to fear being inconvenienced. Like, oh no, like, if I say hello to this person, like, I'm gonna, that's going to cost me like a microsecond and over a course of a year, that's going to cost me a minute and over the course of a life, I will have lost an hour. You know? uh, or if I, if I stop and say hi to this stranger, what if they ask something of me? What if this derails my plans? You know, this isn't in my eye, Cal. Abraham, three strangers show up on his door. It wasn't on his agenda. But Abraham clues in that something is happening here. Something unordinary is happening in a very ordinary day. And somehow, Abraham has a sense and understanding that this is God appearing to him. And so what does he do? He ran from the tent door to meet them. In the ancient world, we have to remember, running is a humiliating act. It's, it's shameful for any honorable man to do. And, and yet, welcoming these three strangers matters so much to Abraham that he is willing to go to the extent of humiliating himself in the sight of others just to receive them. He's willing to be inconvenienced, to go out of his way to welcome them. And he runs to meet them, and he humbles himself before them, and he, he bows himself to the earth. And then he says in verses 3 through 5, O Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. What's remarkable is that Abraham refers to himself as a servant. Remember, Abraham is a man of immense wealth at this point. You know, so much so that he can't stay in one place place with his nephew Lot. They have too much. He's very rich. He has plenty of his own servants, and yet uh, Abraham doesn't say to these three guests, hey, kick back at the oaks with me. I'll get one of my servants on this. You guys chill. Mojito is coming out. Uh, let, let's, let's connect. You know, I know he, he, he serves. He runs out to serve, and he calls himself a servant twice, and it's not just posturing. He lives it out. He offers them refreshments, and shockingly, he, he washes their feet. This is an act of a servant. And in the presence of God's messengers, Abraham is willing to humble himself. He's willing to treat them as God himself. He will do anything required to welcome them, anything to receive them, anything to bless them, anything so that they will not pass him by. He will be inconvenienced. He'll step down from being the one who is served, and he will serve. And he'll sacrifice the best of his resources and provide and care for these men. So the story goes on again in verse 5 through 8. So they said, 
do of you, it said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three siahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took the curds and the milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Gentlemen, don't just run into the kitchen and say, Julia, bake a cake. It does not go over well. Just saw it in the Bible, thought I'd try it this weekend. Not a good idea. Uh, But anyway, Sarah and Abraham collaboratively worked together to create the highest quality meal for their guests. It's ancient gourmet food. That's what's going on here. And Abraham serves them the meal. He doesn't even participate in it. He stands back and watches like a servant. But what's really interesting is that this interaction will not be a one-way street. Look at verses 9 through 10. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. We should hear God saying to Abraham, just as you've received me and blessed me, You will receive the promise from me, and I will bless you. Abraham's posture, his his willingness to be inconvenienced, his desire to welcome and serve, it opens him up uh, to also being received by God and, and blessed by God. And who knows how God would have gone on to bless Abraham if he hadn't received him in this way. The point is that Abraham's willingness to welcome strangers opens him up to be blessed by God. We need to get that the Lord didn't simply appear to Abraham because he had the hankering for some good barbecue in Abraham's neighborhood. He didn't just appear to receive and be served. God came to serve. God came uh, to reassure Abraham that the promise hasn't changed. Time may have elapsed. It may be getting more and more difficult to continue believing, but in a year's time, the promise will come. Sarah will have a son. And Sarah, she overhears this, and the story goes on in verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and the way of a woman had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and, shall, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Sarah laughs. And wouldn't you? I mean, you're, you're in your late 90s. You're past your prime. Your sexual life, it has ceased. And God's promise, it is just too far out there. You know, Sarah, she's resigned to the limitations of what she knows is possible. And what she knows is that it's impossible for an old, barren woman to start having babies. She never had a baby, and she never will. Even the thought of having a baby just makes her laugh. And then God and Sarah get into this really strange debate, don't you think? Why did you laugh? I didn't laugh. Yeah, you did. (laughs) Why is it so important for Sarah to recognize that she laughed, to admit it? Why is it so important for her to see that she laughed in the face of God's promise? Because her natural reaction is important. You see, when we receive God into our lives, uh, when he comes and blesses us, they always sound, the blessings sound ludicrous. 
They're beyond anything we can accomplish. They're impossible for us, which is why the Lord explicitly says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And when Sarah has a son, she owns up that she laughed. She names him Isaac, which means laughter. But the point isn't that Isaac will just have a great laugh or be filled with joy. The point is that Sarah once laughed at the possibility, and now the impossibility is nursing at her breast. But Sarah also needed to know that God is a God who meets her in her barrenness and cynicism. God is the God who meets her even when she laughs at the talk of the promise being fulfilled. You know, Sarah, she was reassured that she's not too barren, she's not too old, she's not too cynical to be used by God, that God sees her and God knows her and that God can work in and through her. So with this powerful story from Abraham and Sarah's life in mind, let's return to what the author of Hebrews says about this passage. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Abraham welcomed you know, the three strangers and he inadvertently welcomed the Lord and opened himself and Sarah up to God's blessing. And God appears to them in a very mysterious way. The text is never very clear about how God is present in these three men. It's mysterious, but it is clear that God communicated directly to Sarah and Abraham through these gentlemen. That God reassured them of the promise he made to them. That God met them in the difficulty of faith in the in-between time where God has given us a word, but it hasn't come to fruition. And all of this happened, the author of Hebrews says, because Abraham didn't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And on a very practical level, we can say, yeah, we shouldn't neglect showing hospitality to strangers. That seems like a good thing to do because maybe there is something more happening in any given moment. Uh, we might have this opportunity uh, to enter into a moment where heaven seems to intersect with earth in a more palpable way. When I first moved to Orlando, for instance, I was utterly hopeless at finding my way around that urban sprawl. And that, that's a gift I inherited from my mother. And uh, I, I need, she's here today, that's the only reason I've made that little jab, but I, I needed to get it to the post office on my lunch. And, and so I asked some coworkers, look, I got an hour, uh, how long does it take to get to the post office? And they said, 10 minutes. I said, oh, great. So 40 minutes later, I found the post office, and you know, I'm, I'm in a rush, I'm late, I'm stressed, because I want to get back to work on time, and I have a boss who, who like watches the clock. Like, You've got to be back on the hour. The only problem between me and getting back to work on time, was that there was this woman in front of me. And she was making a scene, and she was getting louder and louder, and, and, and she was trying to sort something out, and she was a little disheveled, and she looked a little homeless, and it was, it was awkward, because she started crying, and she just broke the only cardinal rule I have in public, which is, do not cry in public, especially not in post offices, when I need to be back at work right now. And, and so she, she makes this scene, and then walks off to the side of the post office, grabs a seat, and begins weeping. And everyone in line, I can see this. Everybody just looked down at their feet and uh, sent their mail and tried to get out of there. And I did the same. I'm not saying I was any better. I looked at my feet, sent my parcel, and tried to leave out the door. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder. Alistair, walk up to that woman and just ask her how she is. What? I know how she is. She's, she's showing me how she is. Lord, she's making a scene. This is the unforgivable sin. And... Uh, <laughs> I couldn't shake it, though, that I had to go and speak to her. I didn't want to. Like, this wasn't like glorious faithfulness. This was like, fine, if you say so, Jesus, faithfulness. So I walk up to her and I said, excuse me, how are you? 
And she goes, you must be an angel. I was like, I am not an angel. And, and, and she blurted out, I was just praying to God that God would send someone to help me. You see, I've been losing my sight. I'm practically blind. I thought I was at the doctor's office. It turns out I'm at the post office. And I don't even know where I am or how to get to my doctor's office. Can you help me? I said, well, look, my office is 10 minutes from here, and it took me 40 minutes to get here. So it might take a while to find your, your doctor's office, but I'm in if you're in. And she said, sure. And so arm in arm, uh, we walked down the street exploring downtown Orlando, which is glorious. And, and it's, it's not. But, uh, you know, we found her doctor's office. And on the way, though, she just kept telling me stories from her life. And it was powerful. And, and she, she just couldn't stop praising God and, and, and just saying, like, God really cares about the most mundane parts of my life. And she kept sharing with me how afraid she was to lose her sight. But how this reminded her that God sees her, that God will provide for her needs, that when she prays, he hears. It was humbling for me because, like, my heart was like, I don't want to be here. This is taking a long time. And she's saying, like, God is working through you and reassuring me of his faithfulness and his promises. And so we get to the doctor's office, and I checked her in. I talked with reception. I arranged a cab so she could get, you know, back home without getting lost. And I turned around. She was an angel. It was crazy. No, she went to the bathroom. And, uh, <laughs> you know, she, she came back and thanked me, prayed for me, and, and that was it. And <laughs> that was a good setup. I know, I know. <laughs> but I learned a very important lesson, right? Like, you can be involved in this most beautiful, divine moment, heaven intersecting with earth, but you're still going to get in trouble for being late on your lunch break. And so this woman, her name was Nora. I've never forgotten her. I've never seen her since. But she taught me that being present, being willing to be inconvenienced, is necessary, if not uh, mandatory, if we're going to follow Jesus in this world. And it might even cost us. You know, I might get, you might get in trouble with your employer for taking too long of a break, or you might have to bear some embarrassment entering into a situation you don't want to enter. But that is the cost of following Christ in an honoring way. And if that hadn't been my posture, I would have totally missed out on being the hands and feet of Jesus to her. You see, I wasn't completely aware of how God was using me, but Nora was. And God used me to remind her. He sees her. He hears her. He knows her requests. He will comfort her in her fear and her worry. And I know many of you have your own stories, how God's tapped you on the shoulder and, and told you to go help someone and, and, and you realize, like, the chance to extend grace and, and blessing, often you end up being blessed and filled with grace in return, if not more so. And I'm sure many of us, we wish this would happen more in our lives or that we had more of the courage to do so. And I know some of you right now, hands down, you're curling up under your seat and weeping. Like, I don't want this to ever happen to me, right? Like, the, the idea of having to go and encounter strangers like this, that is craziness. But do you want to want to? Right? Like, or do you even want to want to want to? Like, is there like an inclination of like, yeah, that could be a good thing? If there is, the question that we have to ask, though, is what should drive us to do this? How do we get there? Is it simply just because there might be something more to this moment? Is it because we might have something to gain from it? Or simply because there's commands in Scripture to do it? There's a beautiful command in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. 
This is God speaking to Israel, his people, who were once strangers in a strange land. They were slaves in Egypt, estranged from God, and yet God heard their prayers, and he came down, and he welcomed them and showed them grace, and he made a people who were once no people into a people. Not because they were strong or impressive, but simply because God decided to show them his welcoming grace. And so since they have gone from being strangers to God's people to being children of God, They're supposed to remember this experience and then welcome strangers as an overflow of the grace they've received from God. This is what's happening in Abraham's life. When Abraham welcomed God, it was only because God first welcomed Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Only because Abraham had gone from being a stranger to being welcomed into God's company and presence. And it's in light of that that Abraham then sees that there is nothing ordinary about the here and now. Any moment is a chance to encounter the God who shows up and welcomes us. And when we welcome people into our lives, it's not solely because God might be doing something beyond what we can fathom in the moment. It's because Christ has first welcomed us. It's only because Christ sought us out when we were estranged from God. It's because we've been welcomed by Christ into the family of God that we're no longer strangers in God's company. He knows our names. He knows our names. He's provided for us. He's given us the very best. Christ even came not to uh, be served, but to serve. He washes our feet. He welcomes us fully into God's presence. And although he was unfathomably rich, he served us. and, And God has given us life through his son. All so that we can be brought into his presence, no longer estranged. The question is, when we, when we look at what Christ accomplished for us, how his death uh, was a way of bringing people who were estranged into the family of God, how will we respond? Will we be like Sarah? Uh, I'm, I'm too broken. I'm too old. I'm too barren. Uh, I'm too cynical. I'm not sure I can even believe in this. You know, it seems too far out there. Like, I have all these questions and, and I've, I've, I've all these things in my past. Could God even work in and through me? And the answer is always yes. You're never too far gone. There is always more grace in God than there is sin in you. And you're always going to have questions. The, the, the issue is moving towards God in faith and saying, you know what? I'll work out those questions along the way. Will we respond like Abraham, though? You know, ambitious, like running out to God, willing to humble ourselves and serve him and do anything to to get him not to pass by, to stay in our presence. Will we be like Abraham or or Sarah? And what's beautiful about the gospel is that it's for cynics and the ambitious. It's for the religious and the irreligious. It's for the secular and the Christian. The gospel comes to everyone where they're at and says, look, look at what God has done. Doesn't matter how broken you are or how well put together you are. Doesn't matter how wicked you are or how righteous you are. Nothing compares to the surpassing worth of Christ and what he's accomplished for us in his death and resurrection. And it's only when that gets into our hearts and minds that not only will we welcome the opportunity, but we will seek opportunities to welcome strangers into our lives. We'll be willing to say hi to someone that walks by. We'll be willing to introduce ourselves. We'll even be willing to invite someone out to a coffee who we've never met before, or into our homes, or or we'll desire to see that the usual places that we inhabit, whether it's post offices or grocery stores 
or buses, that these become places and moments where we can see heaven intersecting with earth because Christ is with us. And if Christ is working in and through us, that means there is nothing ordinary about the here and now. But it's not because we want to be nice. It's not because we want to be hospitable. It's not even because strangers deserve to be welcomed into our lives. It's because we too were once strangers of God and God welcomed us. And the measure by which we have received, we pour into others. So if you're not welcoming strangers into your life, if you're retreating, some of that could be personality. Some of that might always just be a struggle. But a big part of it will be dwelling on how God has welcomed you. Do you understand the grace that's been extended to you? The blessing that's been offered to you? And as we live this part out, welcoming strangers, we shouldn't be a surprise if God uses us as conduits of blessing in other people's lives. God brings the greatest blessing the world has ever known in and through Abraham and Sarah. Through her barrenness and cynicism, the offspring came, Christ himself. He brought redemption and reconciliation and forgiveness and healing into the world through this ancient covenant. The promise started with her and it extended to us, so we shouldn't be surprised if God wants to use us as conduits of his blessing and the extension of the message of the gospel. But we also shouldn't be surprised if God uses strangers in our midst to bless us as well. We shouldn't be surprised if God uses unexpected guests in our lives to reaffirm us when faith is hard when doubts arise, or when we feel like we can wait no longer for God to show up. Divine meetings are already set up. We need Christ to give us the eyes to see and hearts soft enough to listen when he prompts us. Because this passage, it reminds us, and I've said this and I want to say it again, there are no ordinary moments on this side of eternity. Because every moment is a chance for strangers to encounter the God who wants to bring them into his amazing family. And every moment is a chance to see Uh, Heaven intersecting with earth because Christ himself has welcomed us.